Great to be here. Uh, thank you, Marvel. Marvel was one of my student leaders when I was uh, at UTS. So it's really great that Marvel can serve uh, at CP here. Thank you so much. It's good to uh, thank you so much for your prayer and for your uh, support for our ministry on campus. It's really great to see you again in Mission Month 2019. Um, you have been praying for us. You have been supporting us. You have been, encourage, you have been encouraging us in so many different ways. Uh, and I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, thank you for so many different ways that you have shown uh, to support us at, uh, at our campus, at our ministry on campus. This past semester, actually, I have seen a few young people came to our orientation week from, this is from uh, Stratfield campus, uh, came to our orientation week and helped out at our orientation week. So this is really great, and I thought that I'll just extend that to you. If any of you are interested in helping me in upcoming in July, and are free, of course, in July, and be able to help me during orientation week, that will be fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, there also have been a couple of Bible study groups, actually, uh, come to me and said that, can we do something for you? And one of them is actually from CP, which is really great. And can we do something for you? And I said, can you cook? And they said, yeah, we can cook. Yeah, we can cook good food. And I said that, yeah, bring on the good food. Um, and uh, because, you know, we always eat, right, at our international students' service and an international student ministry. So it's, food is always needed. Um, so thank you so much for offering me uh, that help. It's really, really practical, and I'm really grateful for that. By 2018, mid-2018, we have around 650 or 620,000. Uh, next slide, please. Next slide, sorry. Uh, 630,000, close to 630,000 international students studying on our shore. And what is interesting is that about 9,000 of them, next slide, are studying at Macquarie University. And among whom, 40% of them, 40% of the 9,000 are postgraduate students. I believe that this is a responsibility of us as Christians in Australia to serve these sojourners. A couple of slides before, these are the people that I have ministered, basically, in week-to-week -week basis. Um, it is really our responsibility to serve them, to preach the gospel to them, to prepare them, to train them, and to send them back. So I just came back from AFES uh, staff conference last week, and no doubt that the need is so great uh, in our country. Uh, there are campuses still in Australia that still do not have international student-specific outreach group like FOCUS. Um, therefore, we are praying more for more workers uh, to be sent into, into God's harvest field. And if you are aware, uh, we need a higher ratio uh, of staff and students on our campus. So in our, our local student ministry, probably the ratio is about 1 to 10. Uh, in international students, we need a ratio about one to three because the demand is so high, uh, the time commitment is so high, and also the time that they spend with us is short. Uh, many of them only stay with us for only one or two years. So uh, please pray for us. Uh, as Also, AFES has been thinking about doubling our reach by 2025. We are hoping that we would like to see more and more students Hearing the gospel 
more and more students to be trained up and more to be sent out into God's harvest field. So please pray for this. One thing that uh, challenged me, especially as, uh, as a focused staff worker in AFES, is actually to pray that some students can stay with us a little bit longer. <laughs> because, you know, it's only one or two years, and time is really short uh, to train them. But I, I do pray that they can stay with us a little bit longer. So therefore, we are actually providing and offering them some sort of apprenticeship uh, if they can stay with us a little bit longer so we can train them a little bit longer before we can send them into God's harvest field. So please pray for this. Uh, we hope that we have more international students being trained up and sent out to countries in which we as Australians are, are having difficulties to go to those places. So please, please pray for that, and thank you for all the offers and everything that you have shown to me. Let me pray to, before I explain to you from Jonah chapter 4. We praise you, God, who called us from all over the world, from all different places in Australia, different corners of Australia, out of darkness into your kingdom through your Son. We give thanks that the gospel that we have received is not only for Australians, it's not only for Asians, for, or for one specific ethnic background, but your gospel is for all nations, for those who want to put their trust in you and follow you for the rest of their lives. Please be with us today as we try to understand from Jonah chapter 4 that you are merciful to us and also to those who are yet to be included in your kingdom. Thank you for Jesus, that you have sent him for us, that in his name I pray. Amen. It's really hard to understand mercy, isn't it? Not only to show mercy that you have after you received it, but also to show it or to demonstrate it especially in the midst of pressure or persecution. Graham Staines was born and became a Christian in Australia. He was someone, I believe, who has shown mercy some, because he has been shown mercy by our God. He took up this mission calling to be a medical missionary in India to serve amongst the poor and the leprosy uh, in the Evangelical Missionary Society. And he served with his family for decades. But in 1999, Graham and his two sons, Timothy and Philip, were burned to death. These sons were only 10 and 6 at that time. They were burned to death by a mob of radical Hindu activists. It made up to the front page of the Indian media and was a unifying event you know, for all Christians, because they were all facing this religious persecution. Gladys, uh, Graham's wife, returned to Australia in 2004, and a year later received uh, an honor uh, from Indian government. And she also received the Mother Teresa Memorial International Award for her service. Graham left behind, basically, Esther and Gladys, who stayed in India to continue to serve these leprosy patients. And this is the people, basically, who killed Gladys' husband and her two boys. That's 
mercy. That's mercy beyond habitual meaning. These people who burn Graham and his boys, they don't deserve mercy. Instead, they should deserve, they must deserve justice. But instead, Gladys and Esther, actually they have shown mercy to them by returning to India and ministering to them. By ministering to those people who killed the husband and the father of this family. I'm not sure how you react to this story. Oftentimes, we feel uneasy or jealous when something good happened to other people, when something, when something good happened to people who don't deserve at all. And this is certainly not what Hollywood taught us, to be honest. Hollywood has taught us justice instead of mercy, isn't it? Happy ending instead of suspense. Hollywood has taught us you know, if you want to make movie from Jonah, probably you should stop in chapter 3 and not continue in chapter 4 because it is so uneasy, isn't it? It is so uneasy for us whenever, let's say, our evil friends get job quickly when we have been trying much longer. We are uneasy when our unbeliever friend <laughs> does better in exam than us who are studying hard. Maybe we are uneasy when God shows mercy to people that we think should receive mercy the least. We need to ask ourselves today and be honest. Have we been happy when God is good and merciful to other people? Or do we get upset? Do we get upset when people that we think should receive punishment, instead they receive mercy from God? The book of Jonah actually doesn't finish in chapter 3 because that's not the point of the story. Hollywood, of course, wants Jonah to stop in chapter 3. But the major point of that story is not that Nineveh is saved, as wonderful as that. It's not about the story of saving Nineveh. But today, we see that Jonah gets upset when God shows mercy to Nineveh. So there are two points that I want to make from this chapter of Jonah, and I'll draw the application on the third point. Two points. Number one, God shows mercy to Nineveh, but Jonah actually wants it taken away. Look at your Bible from verses 1 to 5. Let me recap the story of Jonah, first of all. So God asked Jonah to speak about the salvation to the people of Nineveh because they are evil. It's very clear from chapter 1. Jonah says no. He finally runs away from God in a ship going to Tarshish, which is the opposite way of Nineveh. But here we see that Jonah basically can't run away from God, can he? God sends storm to stop him and big fish to swallow him as a judgment for disobeying God's plan. But in chapter 3, Jonah here obeys God and tells Nineveh to repent. And they turn back to God and are saved from God's judgment. But what happens next? Let's read in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. You can see up on the slide as well. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, in verse 1, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So one question that still lingers to me, why did Jonah wanted to run away from God in chapter 1? <laughs> Here in chapter 4, we find the real reason why Jonah disobeyed God actually at the beginning and did not go to tell Nineveh to repent. Jonah was angry in verse 1. Look at verse 1. He was angry enough to die in verse 3. Well, the question is, why is he angry? Jonah is embarrassed. Is Jonah embarrassed, my question is, because he said that God would bring judgment when God didn't bring judgment at the end, and Jonah probably ended up look like a false prophet? No. We find answer in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Jonah is upset because he wanted God actually to punish Nineveh. He wanted God to punish evil Nineveh. Nineveh actually should have been punished by God because its people were evil. And when God did not punish, but instead show mercy, Jonah gets upset. He is very angry. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, it's very complex to translate in Hebrews. The Bible translator actually helped us in basically saying that Nineveh commits sins that is evil and great. How is then God shows mercy to sinners a great evil like this? Jonah was upset, although God is just and punishes people who do evil. Jonah also knows here that God is gracious. Look at verse 2. He is slow to anger, loves to show mercy to bad people. And these actually were the qualities that we find in the Old Testament. As we learn about God in the Old Testament... The words that Jonah uses here in verse 2 is almost exactly the same as in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. Look up on the screen. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Look at, look at these two verses. Six times it talks about God's love and willingness to forgive people. This is the people who do wrong and people, people who are doing evil. And just only once actually talks about punishment. Jonah was upset when the same love of God that is shown to him that saved his life in the sea is now shown actually to other people, especially those evil people of Nineveh. So God asked Jonah in chapter 4, verse 4, are you right to be angry? And Jonah thinks that he is right to be angry. Why? Because the people of Nineveh didn't, didn't receive God's mercy. They are evil. They're very evil. They're very wicked. But Jonah has forgotten. He has forgotten that he actually didn't deserve God's mercy either. So he has no right to be angry. 
In fact, if we ask ourselves today, no one has a right to be forgiven by God. Not me, not you, not one. Forgiveness from God is actually a gift that He gave to us freely. God gives mercy to anyone whom He chooses to give mercy to. He is merciful, basically, to all people. Remember that the God that Jonah worshipped is not only the God of Israel, but He is the God of the whole world. He is the God of the Chinese, the Australians, the Indonesians, the Iranians, the Iraqis, the Nineveh. And He is merciful to all those cities. He is merciful to all the world. And here, Jonah is jealous because his God, this is the God of Israel, doesn't just love Israel, but he also loves all people. And he shows mercy to all people. And Jonah doesn't understand basically the basis of God's love. Of course, we love people who, who are good and beautiful and easy to love, right? Like, like the people who are sitting next to you. Look at them. No, seriously, look at them. They're easy to love. They're beautiful, aren't they? Right? And most of them are Asians. <laughs> they, they love Jesus. Of course, the people next to you, sitting next to you, they love Jesus. Stop looking at them. Now look at me. Okay? It's a bit creepy. So God basically did not just love Israel because Israel was good, to be honest. If you look in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 and 6, look at, uh, I'm, joined, I'm just going to read to you from verses 5 and 6. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possessions of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand this, look at verse 6, understand this, that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord God, Lord your God, is giving you this good land to possess, for you are stiff-necked people. So God loves people even though they are ugly, they are bad, they are not worth loving. We Christians call this as grace or undeserved love. And this was clear, actually, from another passage, from Deuteronomy chapter 7, from verses 7 to 9. Let me just read to you from verse 7. The Lord did not set His affection on you, or choose you to the people of Israel, because you were numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. And it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore, to your ancestor that he brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and his faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand of generation to those who love him and keep his commandments. So Jonah is God's prophet, no doubt. He is God's spokesman, but Jonah's heart actually is far from God's heart. Jonah's heart, in fact, is different than God's heart. Jonah is quick to anger, as we see in verse 1 in chapter 4, but God is slow to anger in verse 2. God loves to show mercy, but Jonah doesn't show mercy to others. 
He wants evil people, basically, to be punished. I want to tell you a story about a man whose name is Jeffrey Dahmer. Next slide. Dahmer actually was a very evil person. Please be warned. What I say may shock you. If you don't want to hear, you can close your ears, basically. He killed 17 people, all males. He forced both men and boys to have sex with him. He killed them up. He killed them and he cut up their bodies and even ate some of them. He was put into prison for 957 years. It can only happen in America, let me just tell you, okay? In 1994, he was killed in prison by another prison, prisoner. But before he died, I heard that he became Christian. If that faith is true faith, then I believe that he is in heaven with our God. God is merciful to all people, including someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. Imagine yourself sitting in heaven. How about you feel being there with Jeffrey? Could you hold his hand, the hand of a man who had sex with boys, killed men, and cut them up? and ate their body parts? Could you hold his hand and sing praise to Jesus for, for praising him for forgiving you both? All of us are none better than Jeffrey. Because just like him, all of us have sinned and deserve God's punishment. It's only, it's only when we realize that you, that me, that none of us actually deserve God's grace or forgiveness that we can be truly happy when we see people like Jeffrey being in heaven. Jonah isn't happy when Nineveh can go free unpunished by God. When Jonah doesn't truly understand God's grace. Because Jonah doesn't truly understand God's grace. That's why Jonah goes outside of the city and builds shelter for himself in verse 5. Because he's hoping that God might change his mind and back and punish Nineveh. That goes to point number two. God shows mercy to Nineveh, but then takes it away in verse 6 to 11. Look at your Bible. In this next section, God takes Jonah through a test to make Jonah realize that Jonah's heart actually is not in line with God's heart. To show that Jonah that he doesn't understand God's grace. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade to his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. So it seems to me that the shelter that Jonah built to protect him from the sun did not work. So God basically makes a vine to cover Jonah's head like an air conditioning in verse 6. And Jonah is very happy. But in verse 7, look at verse 7. Jonah actually makes... A worm to, die, to eat the vine so that it's like God takes away the aircon that he gave Jonah. 
And finally, God sends hot wind in verse 8 and 9. And Jonah got angry again. God actually uses this vine, I believe, to teach Jonah two lessons about mercy. Well, look again. God actually showed Nineveh kindness, first of all, that they didn't deserve. And Jonah wanted God to take away his mercy and punish Nineveh instead. So God treats Jonah like Jonah wanted to treat Nineveh. God kindly gave Jonah a vine that he didn't deserve. Then sees how he reacts to God when God takes away the vine. And we see that Jonah basically didn't like it at all. So the first lesson, the first lesson is that if God has shown mercy to us, then we should learn to show mercy to others, especially to those people that we think should receive mercy the least. Think about the salvation. Think about the grace, the forgiveness that we receive from God through Jesus. Think about those things. The next lesson, let's read in verse 9 to 11. You see here that when the vine grows one day and died the next, Jonah says that he is so upset that he could die in verse 9. And in verse 10, God says to Jonah, basically like this, Jonah, (laughs) you can't really care much about the plant because you only love it for one day. You didn't even plant it or give it life. Look at me, God says. I am the God. I am the God, the gardener who planted the vine and made it grow and gave it life. And don't you think that my pain in taking away its life is much greater than yours? That's the question that God asked to Jonah. So let's now compare basically the vine to Nineveh. So Jonah, if you claim to be upset that one small vine dies to your own loss, how much greater do you think my pain and loss if 120,000 people I gave life to die, including cattle as well? So the second lesson is that God's care for the lost is far greater than we can imagine, that any of us can imagine. That's why he shows mercy to Nineveh. I have a friend who's doing Bible translation of a tribal language in West Papua. I knew that there were hundreds and hundreds, I'm from Indonesia, I knew that there were hundreds and hundreds of tribal language there, and when he mentioned the name of the tribe, and I, I, I can't really recall, I don't, know, I don't know that name, and I asked him, how many people speak the language, you reckon? And he says, 60? And I, I said, 60? Six, yeah, 60? Are you nuts? I said, you s- spend decades of your life, you know, hours and hours of translating the Bible for 60 people. And he said, yes. And he said to me that God's mercy and cares for the lost is much greater than we can ever imagine. Friends, there are 9,000 international students at Macquarie Uni. Many of them do not know the God of the Bible that we worship every Sunday. Different cults at uni are, are just ready to devour them, basically. And what do we do here? What do we do here? What keeps us from going there and show God's mercy to them? 
the mercy that he has shown us in Jesus, we need to share with them. We need to go. Many of us go to Macquarie Uni area, of course, to eat, right? <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of good restaurants at Macquarie Center. Let me know if you want to know some. Uh, but, you know, many of us probably never thought about going to Macquarie Uni to share the gospel of Jesus. It's only less than 15 kilometers away. Show God's mercy, to show God, God's mercy to those people. Number three, as I draw to the close here, how is God's mercy then shown to us, to all human beings? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. What is this word of sinners? It's actually enemies of God. The New Testament tells us that all of us have been enemies of God. None of us actually deserve, deserve anything good from God. All of us deserve God's punishment. Yet, yet God, in His mercy, saved us from His punishment by sending Jesus to die on our place. And if God has shown us mercy then we should want to show God's mercy to others. What do we need to do? Well, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, next slide, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I believe that this is what Gladys and Esther Steins have understood. They were, they were enemies of God at one point, but God has shown them mercy. And they need to show mercy, even to those people who think, who they think, I believe, should receive mercy the least, to those who burn their family members down. So as I finish, I want us to think about this. Are, are you happy when God shows mercy to others, especially to those people that we think should receive mercy the least. Maybe people who are coming from different race or different ethnicity, different culture, those who can't speak English well, international students. Or do we just love people because they are easy to love, easy to talk to, or speak the same language? I believe a true sign of we understand God's mercy is that we can be happy when God gives good things to other people, including salvation, when salvation is preached and received to those who are different than us. Just like He's given good things to us. So when people know and understand that Jesus is Lord, just like we have understood it. There are some checkpoints that I want to leave you with at the end here as we reflect this in our life today as a church. We need to try hard to understand God's mercy that He's given to us in Jesus. Maybe not as sacrificial as what the Grahams are doing or were doing and his family were doing or something like that, but some practical questions. Number one, question number one. How do your prayers actually reflect that? How do your prayers reflect that? Do you regularly and fervently pray for your friends and family members who are lost, for your neighbors, 
How long do you keep it up for? Question number two. What sort of time are you putting into cultivating relationship with non-Christians? Or do you see this basically as wasted time? Oh, it's better for me to spend time with my other Christian friends, serve at church, and you see that spending time with non-Christian is just wasted. You see, I've read a study by Center of Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in America. It publishes actually a recent finding that makes us thankful that we are living in 2019 and not in 1900. You know, compared to 1900, only 5.5% of a non-Christian knew a Christian. Only 5.5% of a non-Christian knew a Christian. And today, my friends, in 2019, the number is actually about 20%. 20%. What does it say? Obviously, first of all, the number is still too small. But a growing percentage here grants more non-Christians the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from a Christian, from someone that they know. Will you take that opportunity? Question number three, how does your giving, financial giving, reflect that concern? Are you giving generously to gospel ministry? Gifts that will help people, basically, in, uh, so that they can spend time telling the most important news of all, uh, the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus has died for the sins of the people, and God offers them free Free relationship and free forgiveness, basically. Does your giving reflect that concern? I believe that the blue form that the church has been giving to us, that will help us in uh, putting this into practical application as we think about giving. Let me pray as we end. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are merciful to all people that you are merciful to all nations. Thank you that you bring your people back to yourself in many different ways. Teach us to show mercy to others, especially to those people that we think should receive mercy the least, because you have been merciful to us, Lord. And teach us to care for all people in our neighborhood, in our workplace, at uni, at school, so that they too may know that Jesus is Lord. For your glory. Amen.